today's expert process podcast. When in reality, it has so much more to do with the little tiny nuances in their performance that speak louder than words and the science behind that. That's right. And that's, you know, I always say the devil's in the details. So what gets you cast or what doesn't get you cast is some tiny detail. Do you know six in 10 businesses will fail within the first five years? First five years. Or 43% of Americans need a side hustle just to make ends meet? Just to make ends meet. Or that it takes 10,000 hours to master any subject? Any subject. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast, where we cut the time to mastery in half with our seasoned pros. And now, from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting worldwide, here's your resident expert, Durante Smith. Hello, EIT Nation, also known as Experts in Training. I'm your host, Durante Smith, and welcome to my show. Now... What is the expert process, you might ask? Well, to put it simply, it's years of labor, hard work, blood, sweat, and tears boiled down into an easy, understandable format for you to digest and consume on your own schedule. I'm taking my expertise in the areas of film, television, animation, marketing, publishing, licensing, sales, and more to teach you best practices from across the board. But you don't have to take my word for it. You'll hear from leading industry pros with time-saving tips to help you advance your career forward in half the time. For those of you who want a deeper dive, you can join the many dozens, soon to be hundreds of students with our masterclass, The Expert Process. Now, the cool thing is it's an app you can download on your phone and work on your own time. Just go to theexpertprocess.com to sign up for it or an upcoming webinar today. And thank you for bearing with me as I retool the podcast for both video and audio to meet the demands of the COVID pandemic. Now, on to the show. Okay, guys, I have with me today my co-host again, Mr. Greg Thompson. Uh, Greg, you guys know about Greg. You've heard him in a couple of the previous episodes. He uh, also co-hosted one of our other episodes. And we have, I think, another coming up, don't we, Greg? Yep. All right. Awesome. Geronte, we need to get a band, dude. We need somebody who can play our theme song, <laughs> yeah. like the Roots or something, when they're not hey. playing Jimmy Fallon, right? Hey, make it happen, bro. Make I'll happen. try. I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Greg has a good friend of his there in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, that he's dealt with for quite a while. And the lady has a, um, a method for actors that is nothing short uh, less than Phenomenal. So I want to give a uh, warm welcome to Mrs. Faith Hibbs Clark. She is a casting director, longtime casting director, and founder of communication for met- the, the Communication Method for Actors. Um, her company and website is goodfaithcasting.com. You can also learn about the uh, communication method for actors at cmfatraining.com. That's cmfa training.com and faith welcome to the show and tell us a little about yourself and how you got into casting well thank you so much for having me today i'm uh, delighted to be here and uh, 
Well, like you said, I have 20 years of casting experience, but what a lot of people don't realize is that before I worked in casting for film and television, I actually worked as a deception detection expert, which is a communication expert that is proficient in reading body language. So my ability to read someone's body language to the end of being able to determine the possibility of their words being deception led me into a whole different uh, field down the road. So when I got to the point where I was feeling burned out in that industry, because as you could imagine, um, it is definitely a, a stressful world to, to work in that arena. I worked with a lot of trial attorneys uh, in jury manipulation. Um, I worked with some federal agents and uh, I did a lot of, um, <laughs> I did a lot of work with politicians, oh, politicians yeah. being particularly interested in learning how to reverse engineer the body language so that they could deliver their message uh, and come across as authentic. So that type of work got real stressful after a while. And I decided to um, sort of pivot and change careers. That's what led me into casting because casting really is the study of human behavior, or at least it should be. Um, I think that these days, uh, sometimes we're viewed as the people who put actors on tape when in fact, especially 20 years ago, it was really about coaching and getting a certain performance out of an actor and really bringing their best message to the picture. Um, so with that said, I uh, came into the casting world and one of the things that I realized when I would watch actors audition is why you gotta make this so difficult. And I realized the same formulas that I would use for defense attorneys, the same formulas that I used for um, politicians and, and um, federal agents, those formulas could help actors. Okay. Basically speaking, if I help your communication, if I help the actor communicate their message more effectively, then they're more likely to get cast because they're more likely to have an impact on the receiver. So that then led to the development of the communication method for actors, CMFA. And CMFA is a science-based method. So everything that I teach, it's not, oh, this casting director likes this, and this casting director likes that. Because really when you boil it down, what we like is basic human behavior. Um, there are certain principles that stand true no matter what. So for instance, um, this principle, that 85% of what we think of a human being is based on what we see, the visual. Okay. So this goes back then to my ability to read body language. Now the human brain is designed to do two things. It's designed to survive and it's designed to evolve. And part of our survival has been to be honest. But the average person lies 81 times per day. And the average person, when they interact, right now we're not really interacting because the um, social isolation or the social, um, uh, what do we call it, social 
distancing. Uh, distancing, yeah. It's like isolation because uh, if you're if you live by yourself, it's isolation. Um, but in a normal situation where you're interacting with people on a daily basis, the average person in the average number of interactions is lied to 200 times per day. Wow. And what I think is interesting is that all the answers that you need to understand another human being is right in front of you. Your body will tell the other person what it's actually thinking. And often you will show that without actually being aware of it. Because this is something that is instinctual to us. It's a survival mechanism. So for instance, if I was to, um, if I were feeling uh, angry or closed off, I might fold my arms like so. Right. Um, and so the, the brain sends a message to my body. I'm feeling closed off. I'm feeling angry. So I'm going to do this. And when you see this, you would probably think she's kind of angry. She's kind of closed off, right? Right. Um, so we have the ability to read human body language almost instinctually. And I always ask, have you ever met someone and just right away, you just did not like them? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yes. Was it something they said? <laughs> I'm sorry. I really love the way you said that, Durante. And I wish everybody could see your face when you did it. Oh, yes. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I had a couple of people in mind when you said it. So. Well, and it's very difficult when it's your mother-in-law. You know, what are you going to do? Mm. Um, I think conversely, there's people that we we meet and we hit it off right away. I know Greg and I you know, you said, oh, they've known each other a long time. It's actually not been that long. Oh. <laughs> but when we met, we just hit it off right away. Gotcha. And it isn't necessarily something that you said or he said or I said. It's the perception that we have of that person based on what our subconscious is reading about their body language. Mm. So this is true for actors. Actors get up in front of the camera and all they want to do is vomit a bunch of lines out. I call it the verbal hairball. <laughs> um, it's like, there you go. There's the words. You're welcome. And when in reality, it has so much more to do with the little tiny nuances yep. Yep. in their performance that speak louder than words and the science behind that. That's right. And that's, you know, I always say the devil's in the details. So what gets you cast or what doesn't get you cast is some tiny detail. The problem with a lot of actors is that they spend most of their prep time preparing the words when the words are actually only 9%. So vocal is 15% uh, of perception and 85% is visual, but the words and the meaning of those words are actually said to be only 9%. That is what actors hyper-focus on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I gotta get the words down. Oh, I've gotta, I gotta make these words sound a certain way. If you say, do it again differently, they'll emphasize a different word. Right. They're not thinking about all the messages that are sent from their body language from the tiny little nuance, you know, the flicker of a, uh, an eye or lips turning up or down, all the tiny little things that we may not know uh, how to describe when we perceive them, 
but our brain does. Our brain knows how to react to that information because it is uh, in our DNA. We've right. learned to read body language for our own survival. Right. Um, for example, there's a reason why we shake hands. Do you know why? If we were in person, we would have, well, maybe not right now, unless we had some right. good hand sanitizer. <laughs> but there's a reason why over the course of our evolution that we we do certain things, like shaking hands, for instance, is to show the person that we're meeting that uh, not only is our hand free of any kind of harmful weapon, um, but you can test that by actually connecting and feeling that there's no weapon in my hand. Hmm. So we do things like that. When someone speaks with palms up, that tends to be a positive gesture because it's associated with this idea that you don't have a weapon in your hand. And I know that sounds silly for, uh, you know, our day and age, but we really are still very much reacting to those um, messages that are deeply rooted in our DNA. So, so actors so, social cues, right? Is that what you say, kind of social cues? Yes, yes. Um, but based on science and based on this evolutionary uh, development of things that we do and why we do them. Yeah. Um, so if as an actor, you wanted to show a character that was angry and closed off, you can reverse engineer the process. You can then make the choice to cross your arms, you know, mm. and that will then um, conversely, that sends a message back to the brain that says, oh, you're crossing your arms. You must be feeling angry and closed off. Mm. And then what a lot of people don't realize, the science behind the brain will always give you what I call the appropriate chemical cocktail. <laughs> it will release the chemicals needed in the situation uh, that you're dealing with. So for instance, if you're at a movie and you get spooked in a horror movie, you're gonna, you know, and then your brain will release the chemicals that go along with that. So what actors don't realize is that they can reverse engineer through this process of science, a character physically that will then send messages to the brain that will then create this chemical cocktail that will actually make them feel it. And when you actually feel something as an actor, hot damn, you're going to be believable. Right. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know, on that, um, we, I'm sorry, I'm sure, you know, we have a ton of production here in Atlanta. We have several studios now and I have some friends that work, um, they're um, union and they work on, a lot of the bigger films and stuff like that and invariably i've heard from them over the years um they've worked with folks like denzel or De Niro or um what's the lady uh she's married to the country music singer um not kim basinger what's the other lady's name nicole kidman she was oh. in town yeah she shot a film here last year whatnot and what they've told me is <laughs> you would think these actors are um and you know we're talking about major actors right you would think these guys really are on their scripts like they really have the scripts down and what they say is no most times they don't actually more often than not a lot of them don't really even pay that much attention to the script the script is more of a guide for them right so 
it makes it a bit tricky for maybe the director, especially if they're a first-time director or they're a newer director. Um, but what they say is, you know, the those actors, they're more about the moment. They're more about conveying conveying the message more so than adhering to every single word of the script. And I think that speaks to what you're saying is, you know, you're if you're able to get um, a stronger performance by your body language or inferring that body language, which in turn then um, is transferred to the screen more so than just the words themselves that, that um, gives you that ability to make that connection with the audience. Does that sound about right? Oh, absolutely. And that's a very good point that you make there. I'm sure those actors are the uh, script supervisor's uh, nightmare. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I think a really good director recognizes that that is what a really, truly brilliant actor brings to the table is what you said, and it's a, it's a word I use as well, the message, the story. Um, because words, if they're only 9%, words are just the means to an end. Right. Uh, we know through text messaging <laughs> that yes. sometimes our words yes. can be misunderstood. Yes. So the words on a page are there to guide someone reading it. Uh, through the process of this story. It's one way to communicate, but it is not the whole story. It is not the whole picture. And so absolutely, when an actor can immerse themselves into the physical characterization, then they can, um, they can become that character in a, in a whole new way. You know, there's lots of ways, like uh, Greg always says that the, the right method for you as an actor is the one that works. And some people, um, we all learn differently. For some people, they can get to it by, um, you know, reliving a, a, an experience in their own life. But some people can't. Some people don't do well with that. Um, and it all depends on your learning style and your personality. So this is a very, um, it's scientific, it's a very analytical approach. And those people in, you know, we always think of every actor is, is um, you know, touchy-feely, emotional kind of uh, personality. But there's a lot of analytical, scientific-minded uh, scientific people in the industry as well. And for them, there doesn't seem to be uh, a method that necessarily resonates with their learning style and their personality. Whereas I do think this helps them uh, a lot. And uh, then, then the authenticity is there. You know, the brain from a chemical standpoint, the brain doesn't know the difference between reality and fantasy. So this is why when you go to a scary movie and mm. you're in the audience and you're feeling that fear, your body is gonna hype up and create the physical state of fear. So right. from a chemical standpoint, the brain doesn't know the difference. Right. Reverse engineering in this method is just the idea that if we can get your brain to think that the fantasy is real, oh, hot damn, it's gonna feel really real to you. And yeah, it comes then, across, and, yeah. And then and only then are they gonna be able to really immerse or be in the moment, right. as you say. Right. Um, okay, so let me say this. I, I really appreciate what you're saying because 
I have a daughter, my, my daughter, <laughs> before the call, you guys are aware, I, I was taking care of my daughter because she's getting homeschooled right now, uh, as we all are, Lord have mercy, and I'm having to go back and relearn math again, so <laughs> Common Core is killing me, um, that's a sidebar, but I, um, she, she's taking acting classes, right, um, we have started a YouTube channel for her, and you know, all stuff, but what it's doing as, and I'm, I'm also, um, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but I'm also a director and film producer and stuff like that. Um, but what it's doing is it's really, it has me looking at how I um, work with actors in a different light because her being my daughter, I know her so well, I know her inside and out, but then the flip side to that is it's, it helps me um, in how I communicate with her, right? Um, with how I um, explain things to her or, or try to get her to understand certain things. So to your point, what you're saying about reverse engineering and stuff like that, we will, we'll stop and we'll watch some of these other YouTubers. They make all these shows now, right? So back in the day, it was just strictly Nickelodeon. Well, now it's YouTube, you know? And so uh, we'll watch some of these shows and I'll, I'll ask her, you know, her opinions of these shows. And then I'm like, was well, that believable? And, she, and she'll be like, well, no, it's not really very believable. I'm asking, well, why is that? Why do you not think that's believable? Well, because this or what because of that. And it's so funny, even at seven years old, she sees it. And mm-hmm. so I say that I'm looking now at, you know, actors and shows and stuff like that. And, I, and, I've, and I've done it for years, but nonetheless, it, it, it's, it's more apparent now than even then is that it's what you just said. It's, it's, and even with, when you mention politicians, it's the authenticity, because if it doesn't come across as authentic, then it's not believable. If it's not believable, it takes you outside of the experience. And then guess what? Then you're watching, you're just watching a show. You're not watching, you know, you're not getting an experience. And I think when we, you know, when we watch TV or we watch movies, a big chunk of it is to let go of our daily lives, is to, you know, to have an experience is to, you know, imagine yourself doing something different or to be entertained. But when you're watching that, that entertainment and it's, it's, it's smacking you in the face that it's, that it's just not, you know, it's not real, then I think it kind of ruins the experience. I don't, I don't know if any of that made any sense, but I mean, I, I, I really, what I'm saying is I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and, and you bring up some really good points about what we perceive to be believable. Um, first, let's talk about what is a visual performance. And because if we're going to spend more time on the visual aspect of it, what does that mean? Well, if you sort of inventory um, yourself and, and your visual story, first and foremost, what you look like is a visual message. So if you just stood there, that sends a visual message, right? Um, and a lot of actors, they say, well, I guess I just wasn't the right look. No. If you weren't the right look, you wouldn't be in the room auditioning in the first place. So that's a cop out. Right. Um, But we definitely have to take into consideration the the visual that just is their appearance. And then from there, you're sort of inventorying down your body, starting with the eyes. The eyes are the epicenter of communication. That the most direct message to your brain from my brain is going to be the visual stimulation that you get through your eyes. So a lot is communicated just by how we look at someone. 
Mm. And, you know, the eyes of the mirror to the soul is very, very true. And we call this the power of gaze. What you're communicating just through your eyes um, can be incredibly powerful because it's direct route into their, uh, into their brain. If you, have you ever been at a party and you, um, you just felt like somebody was looking at you and you just kind of turn around because you felt like somebody was looking at you and sure enough, there's somebody staring right at you? How did you know that? The power of gaze and its ability to send um, data from one brain to another is an incredibly interesting subject matter and a very, very powerful tool for actors. When I worked in deception detection, the eyes were always a big source of um, deception detection what someone's eyes did communicated, not only if they were telling the truth, but also how they felt about the truth or felt about the lie. So there's a lot, and I could go on for an hour just about analyzing how uh, we communicate with our eyes. But if you go down, then you've got facial expressions. And all of the, um, you know, Dr. Paul Ekman, um, he was a psychologist that worked with the universal emotions and he found that there are certain emotions that no matter where you go in the world, those emotions are expressed in the face exactly the same way. If you're shocked, it's going to look the same here <laughs> in the United States as it does in China. Mm. You're going to look shocked the same way on your face. But then there's all the micro gestures that you have in your face that give you more detail about the emotion. And then hand gestures. Oh my goodness, hand gestures are very, very telling. Every hand gesture has a psychological meaning. So when you see somebody that's doing a particular hand gesture, your brain will interpret it a certain way, almost universally. So I'll give you a couple examples if that's fun for you. Sure. Uh, the hand peck ge gesture is when somebody's talking to you like this. And as you might uh, you know, see, the, the hand is sort of pecking like a chicken. That person is said to be um, very controlling and manipulative and um, maybe that uh, detail-oriented type person that likes to micromanage. Okay. So if you meet somebody that does that, then there's a good chance that they have that personality or at least in that situation. Again, actors can use these things to create that, that uh, visual performance. And then you can go down the, the row and you can look at body stance. Just the way a person sits or stands can tell a lot about someone's personality. And we love to analyze this with politicians, you, you know, but we, we could be analyzing every person that we meet the same way and getting an awful lot of information. For actors, you can use this information to develop the most amazing characters. When you look at uh, late night talk shows like um, Seth Meyers and, and uh, those type of um, personalities, I'm always amazed that when they, uh, they do their little interpretation of certain uh, people, you look at them and you look at the person and it's like the exact same person. <laughs> That is because they have created uh, the skill of being able to imitate, in this case, the body language and the mannerisms of those people. But 
when it comes to believability, so that's, you know, that's giving you all the ways in which you can be uh, visual as an actor. When it comes to being believable, and this is something that when you're working with your daughter that you might want to get her to think about sort of slowly but surely, is there is this principle that I uh, is one of my components of my method. It's a principle that the brain cannot process visual and vocal at exactly the same time. Hmm. Okay. So let me say that again. The brain cannot process visual and vocal at, at exactly the same time. So most amateur actors, and this is good for you as a director, because most amateur actors, the reason that they're coming across as not believable, or the reason they're becoming across um, as sort of uh, a beginner actor, is that they're giving you too much. Mm. They're giving you words and visual all at the same time. They're so anxious to make an impression that is all coming at you so, so fast, it's too much. It's like, too much, yeah. it's like going on a first date with somebody who's just a little bit too needy, you know? Yep, yep. Um, because they're trying too hard. Yep. But specifically from a scientific standpoint, it isn't how much they're trying, it's the lack of separation between the visual and the vocal. So when the brain receives visual and vocal at the same time, what we tend to do is cancel out or dilute the messages. Mm. So we're not getting the full 85% of the visual, we're not getting the full 15% of the vocal. And, we, and if you do your math on that, we're starting to lose a good majority of the message because it's too much, it's overwhelming. Mm. So a truly gifted actor, and some actors know this intuitively. I think a lot of the, um, the famous actors that I've worked with um, kind of know this intuitively. And, and some people will call it timing or pacing, but the science behind it is how the brain processes that data. So one thing that an actor can do immediately to make their performances more believable is to simply slightly separate their visual message from their vocal message. In other, wise, in other words, um, if you're talking, don't be doing a lot of movement. So it's not to say, and a lot of acting coaches will teach, and a lot of casting directors even feel like, oh, there can't be any hand gestures. There can't be any movement. There can't be any. Well, that's so sad because we're going to lose some really fabulous information, some really fabulous characterization. What they really want to say is don't do all that at the same time that you're talking. Mm. because it's too much and how it's going to be perceived is overwhelming. So for instance, if you're just, you know, teaching your, your daughter something and you want her to understand, say it to her, then show her, then say it to her and separate those visual elements from the vocal elements. It's almost like you can think of this uh, this way, you know, as a, as a filmmaker and as a director and even doing the show, you said, Faith, when we're talking, don't talk because it's easier for me to edit. Right. It's the same concept. Right. 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 The brain can edit a lot better if there's not a whole bunch of overlap. Right. Or it becomes a distraction. Sense? Yeah, it becomes a distraction, right? You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Malcolm and his friends left L.A. for a weekend at Asher's house and found themselves 
1974. Shag carpet, blue velvet wallpaper, chairs from outer space, and a sudden realization that just because you were born in the wrong decade doesn't mean you have to stay there. So, do yourself a favor and try it out. Use my promo code to save yourself $55 off your first adventure. Go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, forward slash expert process Airbnb. Now back to the show. Uh, so for the audience, because they don't know, um, Greg uh, told me a lot about you. I got a chance to read your bio and we talked a little before the, um, you know, before the show. But um, for these guys um, that are everyone that are, you know, guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, um, share with them, you, you know, you mentioned your background with regard to the science part, but how you got into, uh, or I should say where your career has gone since you've gotten into casting, right? You've you worked for so many of these big corporations and companies. And you, so what I'm saying is, is your method is proven. Your method is legitimate. Your method is, you know, it's, it's concrete and sound. It's not, you know, it's yeah, science-based. It sounds, sounds good, but guess what? People are hiring you for a job and they're, they're hiring you for a reason. So let's share with them uh, a bit more about, you know, some of the places that you've, you know, that you've worked for and perhaps why, you know, why they brought you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've worked in casting for 20 years. I mistakenly got out of deception detection because I thought casting would be less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but lesson learned. Uh, so 20 years I've worked uh, on all types of projects. Um, I've worked with big studio films, independent films. I've done head of casting where I, where I did uh, the casting for the stars and also local casting or what they sometimes call location casting, which means that you're casting from the actual location where they're filming. Uh, I had two contract positions. And when I say contract positions, that means that I was not an employee of those studios, but worked on contract um, for them for a specific purpose. And those two uh, contracts, one was, well, first one was for Disney and they contracted me to find up and coming new Disney stars. And so I had the, the task of going from a state to state and I had, uh, I think three states for Disney, Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado. And I would audition a whole bunch of kids. And then we would sort of funnel those down into the ones that had the most potential uh, for being a Disney star. And, uh, you know, these are the, the advertisements you hear a lot of times on the radio that are scams. So for, yeah. your, for the listeners out there, you hear, oh, does your kid want to be in this and this and this? Um, those are most likely scams. The way that Disney... And then they're kind of changing it a little bit now. I haven't worked uh, for them for a while because they've gone to more of a self-tape kind of screening process. But uh, several years ago when I worked for them, they would have me go and look for that potential. And so one of the reasons I think that I get hired for that type of job is this ability to read human behavior. 
And let me just tell you that kids are the best at showing their emotions authentically and believably. Yes. They have not been polluted by uh, societal norms and expectations. And, and, and frankly, they don't even know how to lie yet. You know, not, lying not is good. something we develop. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you said, um, uh, uh, we were talking about my daughter, and you, you mentioned something. Oh, geez. What was it? You say, see, I'm getting old. Uh, you mentioned something with respect to something I was saying about her. But the, the, the thing there with, oh, you said the kids want it honest, right? You were saying about how you're kind of direct with kids and kids just, mm -hmm. they can appreciate your, your method because, or your methodology because you're kind of direct with them, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, okay, so again, something you don't know, but I'm connected with a lot of the schools here in Atlanta. So as you can imagine, with all of the studio work here now, um, a lot, they're doing a lot of casting for, you know, the, the kid parts, kid roles and stuff like that. I'm connected with quite a few of these local schools that have gotten to be pretty big. Mm -hmm. um, when, and I know a lot of those folks are going to be listening to the podcast. So my question then becomes, so what is it that a parent should um, work with th their child on and trying to help their ch child get exposed or get those opportunities, you know, to, to, um, come across or positively influence someone like yourself, who is a casting director, like what is it that you would tell them? And then the second part to that question is um, with this new age of it, with the YouTube and all this other stuff, right? YouTube now is just this humongous platform. Is there a value or is there, is there any value in developing their skill set on the YouTube platform, meaning like becoming a, a YouTuber or something like that? Absolutely. You know, I hate to say this because it kind of goes against my grain, but um, overall, kids and adults, your social following is becoming more and more important. Uh, a few months back, we were out in LA doing a casting and um, we were in, in one of these casting studios where it's multiple different casting directors utilizing the same space. And so I saw one of the sign-in sheets for one of the other projects that was auditioning there. And it had, you know, your normal items, your name, your agent, and it would, then the next column was uh, your, the number of Instagram followers. Oh, wow. <laughs> right there on the sign-in sheet. And I, and I realized, and more and more, and, you know, again, I'm kind of resisting this. I don't want this to be the case, but more and more that, that social media following is becoming not only important, but almost a criteria uh, for certain things. Uh, now to answer your first question about what can, can kids and parents do to, to give that positive impression in the room. Uh, and when I say in the room, I mean in the, the casting studio. Um, I think what a lot of parents need to remember and realize is that you reflect your child. Mm. And as a director, I'm sure you can relate to this. If there are two great kids and they're equally as talented and equally as wonderful, and you're trying to figure out between one or the other, what, which one to go to. And one of them has an incredibly annoying momager or oh, dadager. Yes. Which one are you likely to want to move forward with? And especially with long-term commitment type jobs for kids, whether it's a, a Disney contract or a Nickelodeon contract, 
you know, they've got to deal with those parents for travel arrangements, for um, homeschooling, for, uh, you know, Disney has the, the, the Disney University where they, they train them. Um, so they've got to deal with those parents an awful lot. Mm. And so I think parents really need to stop and think, what impression do I give when I walk into the room for my child, when I interact? You know, it's so true. It's funny, I, years ago, because y'all might know me well know by now that I tend to just say what I think, which is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. But I had a parent years ago and I said, you know, and they, they knew their kid had blown this audition out of the water. And, you know, was the best among the competition. I said, you're right. And I really want to cast your kid. I just don't want to cast you. Mm. Because with your kid comes you and you're a pain yeah. in the butt. Yeah. And, and parents, I understand nowadays, especially parents are so concerned and I want to be there and so on and so forth. You know, my, here's what I would tell parents. If you think that there's a reason to not trust the situation, why would you put your kid in it? Period. That's right. Whether you're there or not because you can't be with them the whole time. So don't put your kids out there for opportunities that you don't feel are appropriate and trustworthy. Start there. If you think it's legit and it's trustworthy and the process is appropriate, go for it. But I don't understand the thinking of, okay, well, I don't trust the situation. Well, I'll let my kid do it and then I'll just watch over it. It's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be the same thing as me coming in as the teacher and saying, I, you know, I want to work with your kid, but I need you to leave the room because I don't trust you. It, it works both ways. So, you know, I once had a, uh, uh, you know, if a parent, I mean, I'm a mother, so I, I completely understand is particularly parents whose kids are just starting to get into it. And so they may feel a bit nervous letting their kid go into a room alone with, uh, with someone. And uh, so if they feel like they want to come in, I, I do let them come in at first, uh, as long as it's not a distraction to the child, which oftentimes it is. But I once let this mother come in and her daughter was doing the audition. And the mother from behind me says, nope, 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 stop. Honey, that's not how we practiced it. Mm. And I turned to her and I was like, uh, excuse me. I'll be the casting director, you be the mother, and you can't stop the audition. You can't direct the audition. That's why we're called casting directors. Right. Um, and so I think that parents need to think about those kind of things too. And, and just communication in general. Obviously, that's my educational background in that tell me what your concern is as a parent tell me what is happening like i said i'm a mother as well as a casting director and a communications expert so please just say hey faith you know my daughter's having a nervous meltdown you know can i can we skip a couple and, and let me audition a little bit later as long as that doesn't happen every audition sure let me work with you let me try Mm -hmm. um, but there does come a point, I think, you know, with kids that cry because they're nervous and yeah. I can only imagine how horrible that feels. I mean, I was a very introverted child, so I couldn't yeah. imagine being placed in front of uh, cameras and lights and whatnot. But if your child cries as their nervous reaction, you cannot bribe them 
into right. feeling any differently. Right. And you cannot intimidate them right. into feeling any different. And I see both. I see the parent who will say, you know, if you just do this, uh, we'll, I'll go buy you that, that, that new Xbox. Oof. And I'm thinking, how damn, why, why would you ever want to do it right? If you were a kid, I would right. screw up every time. <laughs> I would think how, boy, I can get more than an Xbox. I, I, bet you, I bet you I could get an Xbox and an ice cream and some extra internet time. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, and it's like, you know, I tell actors all the time, you know, you need to learn how to have the, the um, pity date, you know, because we all have those where we go for those auditions, then we go home, we didn't get the part, and we go into the, you know, two-week-long pity date where we're, we're feeling horrible. I'm like, learn to shrink that down and get it to nothing. There's nothing to pity. You go in, you do the work, and you leave it there because that's all the control you have. And for parents, too, I see parents all the time that once your child's done that audition, leave alone. Don't go home saying, you didn't do, and why didn't you do, and you know you were supposed to. And no, no, no. no, guys, whatever happened in the room, leave in the room. Because healthy people make good things. I believe that to my core. And, mm -hmm. and to beat a kid up because they didn't do something or other or whatever. I've even seen the situation where I had a parent that did that, and the kid ended up booking the part. Now mm -hmm. explain that to your kid. Right. So I beat you up all the way home and was icky to you for however long. And apparently whatever you did in the room, that wasn't what I taught you worked better. Right. Greg, I think sometimes it's very confusing. These parents talk to and treat their children. Like I've seen it. I've seen them going down the elevator in their face, yelling at them. Here's a message to all those parents. You know, these, you're not getting freeloaders off the couch here to make money. These right. are your children. Right. These are your children and not everyone wants to be an actor. Right. And I know that a lot of times they secretly wanted to be an actor themselves or whatever, or they have insecurity issues or whatever the situation is. It is child abuse when you, in my opinion, when you treat a young child that way who doesn't want to do it. You know, this is, this is not math and, and, and science and geometry. It's, it, this is acting. It's an extracurricular activity that might become a career. Right. But decide if, if they want to. And you know how they can tell you that they don't want to? They will deliberately mess up every audition until you no longer make them to do it again. Mm. That's how mm. you'll know. Uh, I can see they it. might say because they want to tell mommy and daddy the right thing. Do you want to do this, darling? Oh, yeah, I want to do it. You know right. how they really will tell you that they don't want to do it? They will mess up every audition. My daughter is, um, I don't know a lot of parents deal with this, and you, you alluded to it just a moment ago. But my daughter is painfully shy, right? I've had to get her into um, Taekwondo classes over the years, you know, to help her get her confidence and stuff like that. Now it's acting and she does swim and all this other stuff, but she's really blossomed. But here's one thing I will say, right, when, it, when we're talking about getting in front of the cameras. So to digress just a moment, she, she now has a YouTube show. We go out and we interview um, the behind the scenes at places where kids like to go, right? So for example, mm -hmm. we were at the zoo the other day. The other day we were at the children's museum uh, for puppetry arts and she's interviewing the, the actors or she's interviewing the zookeepers and stuff like that. Point being is, is that she, if you, if you ever met her, she's really not that person. She's really, really super shy, but this is what I've taught her, right? You know, Beyonce has her alter ego beyond uh, Sasha fears, right? So she, my daughter loves Beyonce. So I explained to her, I'm like, would you believe 
this international superstar is super shy. She's like, what? Her? No, no way. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's super shy. But do you want to know how she goes out on stage and performs in front of millions of people? Why does she do that? It's because she has an alter ego. I explain what an alter ego is, and I explain her alter ego is Sasha Fierce. So before she steps, ever steps out on stage or steps out in front of camera, she goes into this other person. She bec literally becomes this other person in order to be able to go out there and conquer her fears, right? So I explained to my daughter, I'm like, so you should model that. You need to develop a, an alter ego to help you get over, you know, overcome your fears. She thought about it. I said, okay, well, who would, your, who would your alter ego be? Like, imagine like a superhero. Like, who would that be? Hmm, Lolly Lollipop. I said, like, Lolly Lollipop, what a name. Sure, if that works for you, then, and now every time before she gets into it, she, she takes a deep breath. I have her to visualize, and she becomes Lolly Lollipop, and her entire demeanor changes. You know, she becomes this really, um, uh, not aggressive, but very confident, you know, just real confident person. Now, as soon as the thing's over, she becomes goofy like her usual self, but then she's more relaxed. You know what I mean? So I guess what I'm saying is, is there, there had to be techniques, I would assume, that you probably, um, you probably share with the parents who are, as you said, the momagers and the dadagers, you know, once they get those roles to help them understand, hey, look, you know, the, you're, you, your child's cast now, yeah, they have the role, but they have to now do the part. Would that be correct, in, uh, be correct in saying that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I actually like your idea of the, the superhero alter ego that uh, because it disconnects the, the, the signal to their brain of the anxiety of the situation and places it into the fantasy realm, like what we talked about earlier. Um, so I actually really like that idea oh, a lot. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to, to get kids to relax. But usually once I've been through sort of my repertoire of, of um, techniques and how to do that, there does come that point where not today kind of thing. That's why twins are very popular for filming, mm. um, especially young twins, because you can swap one twin out for the other one. One gets tired and cranky. Um, but uh, just being sensitive to that with the kids. I think the thing that you said earlier that I think is really important for for parents to hear is we're in a generation where it's very easy. I mean, look at the fact that we're going through this major health crisis in the world and we're able to still communicate. We're able to still um, create and be creative. We have an unprecedented set of opportunities for this generation of young people that didn't exist before. And so whether your daughter becomes uh, an actor or a TV host, or she does something else in her life, the experience and confidence that you get from being involved in this industry is priceless. Agree. Yes. Number one, you get to learn how to work with difficult people. Oh. And we all know that that's a business skill. Yes. <laughs> there's yes. a lot of emotions, there's a lot of egos. Um, so kids are learning, like I said, you know, kids are incredibly honest. Uh, if you create an environment for them where they feel that they can be honest with you, they will always opt for telling the truth. Kids only lie when they don't feel safe in telling the truth. Um, but anyway, this is a wonderful time to do things like a YouTube channel. I would advise parents to 
um, try to be involved with that process so that they're not, you know, secretly doing kind of weird stuff behind the scenes that get <laughs> right. them into trouble. <laughs> right. And that everything is, is um, sensitive to different cultures and ethnicities and those kind of things. Because, you know, what I wanted to raise was good daughters and, good, and a good son. That was that was my contribution uh, to this world was I wanted to raise people, not kids. I wanted to raise people. I wanted the principles that I so when I when they were really young, you didn't ask for this, but when they were really young, I would talk to them often like they were adults already. Right. Because that's who I was training. I was training the people, not kids. Um, And the same is true with, with with acting. You you want to teach them or coach them to the highest principle, right. uh, to, the, to the best practices kind of a thing. Um, I think a lot of actors are shocked when they come in and audition for me that, uh, that they've been told, you know, never tell them that it's your first audition. And I can tell, I can tell it's their first audition and I'll stop everything that I'm doing and I'll say, oh, well, come sit down, come sit down and talk to me for a little bit. Even if I'm a little bit behind, um, which I'm not often behind, but if I'm a little bit uh, behind on my schedule, I take that time because it is important that they have a good experience in that casting office the very first time they go out to audition. And we need as parents who are, teaching their kids and exposing their kids to this industry, they need to make it a positive experience. Look, some kids, they never go on to be actors. Right. They, they never go on to be actors, but the principles that you're teaching those kids through this experience are invaluable. They will use those for the rest of their lives. Other kids, uh, maybe their parents don't want them to. I mean, I coached um, and worked with, um, a little girl who had the most difficult time. Uh, she, we worked together once a week and, and coached once a week and for years. And she couldn't get an agent. And uh, her parents wanted her to go to college. And, um, and it, was a, it was a hard sell for her to get her parents to, to want to buy into this because she wasn't doing what she needed to do in, in, in terms of the local market. Well, that little girl uh, that I knew as Emily, uh, grew up to be Emma Stone. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So it's, um, and she, you know, she had to make the the argument. She made a PowerPoint presentation for her parents to convince them that to let her give it a try. Um, so sometimes it's the opposite. You know, sometimes the kids are trying to convince their parents and sometimes the parents are trying to convince the kids. Um, but to all involved, it, it should be a team. It should be a team adventure because, uh, maybe it goes into a professional career and maybe it just is something that really adds value to your life and gives you life skills. And you know what, that, what you just said literally is, I mean, like everything you just said is, is probably my mantra, you know, um, talking to my daughter and I'm doing the, we kind of digress into the kid thing for a bit, but I don't, I don't want to stay on that forever. But in talking with her, it's, I speak to her like she's, as you said, like she's an adult. Now, granted, you still have to dumb down the language a bit. You know, but still, I mean, I talked, I mean, I've, but I've done that since she was little, since she was probably a toddler, you know, and what it does, it helps her to see things and I think in a different light. But there's one thing you said that I really want to hone in on, which is you were talking about um, 
when you're talking about these these actors, and it's not just ch- children actors. That's what I want to kind of point in. It's the the um, I guess you say you mentioned the inexperienced actors, right? How you know they tell you not not to tell you that they're inexperienced or it's the first time or this or that, right? In my last film, one one experience that I had was I actually cast two different people who were brand new. They were novice, novices, correct? Um, they, but the reason why I cast them, I cast them over people that had more experience. In one particular case, um, there was uh, another actor who had, you know, who had a pretty nice portfolio, and I cast these two people over more experienced actors, um, you know, actors that arguably, arguably would be, you would think would be better for the role, just based on their portfolio, based on their experiences, this, that, and other. But the reason for that was because these guys were more coachable, you know, and that to me mattered. You know, I, I'm talking with the, the casting director and, you know, we're, you mentioned a moment ago, there's, well, what if it's a toss-up? Well, it's a toss-up. And I'm telling her, I'm like, well, look, I would rather work with the newbie because she's way more coachable. You know, she's somebody that, you know, I can get the performance out of because the other person, I'm not getting the sense that they're going to listen. You know, it, it feels as if, you know, they know it all. And when you come across that, you know, it all, guess what? You probably need to go somewhere else, at least for me, because you know, that, that becomes a clash of personalities. You know um, the other thing was there was uh Oh, so <laughs> we actually hired one, just to prove my point, we hired this one guy who became a nightmare. He became a nightmare uh, before we even got in, into production. So what I ended up doing is I ended up bringing in an understudy and we replaced him, you know, and this guy, I'm not going to go into any names or anything like that, but the, the funniest thing is he actually was becoming a cancer because he was negatively impacting my cast, you know? And so that's the kind of thing I'll look at. It's like when you're, you're talking about um, the science of acting and your method and identifying these different things, but then more importantly, you as a casting director, your ability to see those things, right? Which is why you're brought into these roles that we were talking about earlier, right? Which you only got to Disney, but um the reason why you're brought into these roles is for your ability to see these things. Well, then I say on the other side of that, being that person that you're working with as a director or as a producer, right? You're able to help us get the best out of the performance, but you're also help, you're able to help us to identify the appropriate people to bring in from the start. Yeah. Is that, is that, does that link up? Does that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think directors sometimes, you know, one, one really very, very practical thing is during a callback session when the director is usually present, a director really has two different ways that they can judge the actor. Actually, three, really. One, they can look at the person live in the room and they can interact with them in that, in that capacity or uh, they can watch the person on video. And third, they can judge the person uh, by both looking at them in the room and also on video. One thing that I caution directors and help them think about is your perception of someone in a room when someone is you know, moving and multidimensional 
is going to be different than the perception of someone on video. So that's the kind of thing that I might politely point out to a director. I remember one situation, it was for a pilot and the director had made up his mind on who he liked and he had never looked at the monitor during the, the session. And generally I'll send them a link of the auditions uh, afterwards and then they tell me you know, mm -hmm. how to proceed with booking. But um, at the end he just you know, said, oh, I got it, it's gonna be so-and-so. And I said, well, yes, I, I really like so-and-so, but I, I would encourage you to, you know, go have dinner, go home, look at the videos because you have to compare medium to medium. Yep. These people are going to be viewed by the audience on video. So our perception of a person in the room may be fundamentally different than our perception of a person on video. So he did that and he came back and he said, thank you so much because I'm going to go in a completely different direction than what I said to do. And he goes, that could have been a mistake that I made that I wouldn't have known about until the first day of shooting. Yeah. So it's, those, you know, as a casting director, it's not my job to tell the director. You know, I always say when the director's in the room, uh, it's like God is in the room and the angels have no voice. And a lot of times when I'm working with an actor in a, in a preliminary audition, uh, they get pretty comfortable with the idea that I'm there to help them communicate their message, right? That's recorded. And then they come to a callback and the director's in the room, a good casting director steps aside for their director because now the director has to interact with this person. And often the actor will look at me for help, <laughs> you know? Right, right when they need to be focusing on the director. So a good casting director steps aside and says, this is your show now. And a good director, I believe, turns to the casting director at the end and says, what do you also think? Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot, and some will and some won't. Um, when they do, I think that they fundamentally are happier with their final decisions than the ones that don't. Because you, you get to talk about perception and you get to talk about things that maybe they hadn't thought about. When they're interacting one-on-one -on -one in a room with an actor, you can get a certain feeling, a certain impression, but it's not the same as looking at them on tape, on camera. Um, and then considering all of the other things. Oftentimes they're auditioned by themselves. Um, you know, how is this person going to uh, look with the actual actor on camera that they're interacting with? Mm. You know, we used to do chemistry reads a lot. I feel like more and more chemistry reads where two actors are together on camera mm. is, uh, those are few and far between. I think we need to, as an industry, sort of revisit that idea. But why is that? Why, why, why have they gone away? Um, I, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that from a practical standpoint, it is easier to just see one person and, and have a reader, you know, so we're not having to, if somebody doesn't show up or we're mismatched, oh, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So just practical reasons. Um, also, a lot of times the, the smaller roles, the day player roles, if you will, uh, or supporting roles, they are interacting with a star. Right. And so the star's not necessary. I mean, it has happened a few times where I thought, oh, how cool. The star actually volunteered to come and, 
and read with all the uh, the final candidates for the role. Um, and that's really, really nice if they're, they're willing to do that. Um, but so that's a lot of times is the, the obstacle is that they're a star, they're in a different geographical location and can't come in to physically read with that person. But, you know, and it's just my opinion, sometimes I think that the readers need to be on camera. Mm. So, it, it, okay, so you can't actually show this actor interacting with um, Tom Hanks because Tom Hanks isn't going to come in. Right. <laughs> okay, right. fair enough. But we should show that actor interacting with another good actor just to see what their ability to, to work as a team looks like. Mm-hmm. And so often we don't do that. Yeah. I think it's a new trend that should happen, but it's, it's, you know, it's not. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. Recently, I read an article about student enrollment in traditional colleges is way down. And online course enrollment is through the roof. With podcasts like this, you not only get free developmental information, You also get access to resources you wouldn't have otherwise. But if you really want to take your film game to the next level, you should consider taking my online masterclass. It's 42 online video modules for more than 50 hours of self-study, complete with a full suite of resources. It's also live coaching and instruction from me and other industry professionals. People say, but Durante, why are you doing this? And I tell them, it's just my way of giving back. So if you're serious about wanting to level up, your film game. Register for the free informational webinar today at theexpertprocess.com. Again, if you want to write a script, make a movie, sell a movie, or just learn how to get into the industry, this webinar is for you. I want to keep the groups fairly small, so sign up today because space is truly limited. Go to theexpertprocess.com and register today. Now back to the show. Can I can I jump in a second? But I want to yes, I want to backtrack a little bit because I'm listening to you guys, and in faith I think this is so I'm going to throw these three ideas out there. So Durante, you you mentioned talking to your daughter and talking to her like an adult, and Faith, you said, yeah, you know, and I do the same thing, and sometimes you have to dumb things down, and you know what? I don't think you're dumbing things down, and the reason I say that is that I oftentimes watch teachers or directors, I watch parents. And I watch the ones who take the time to explain it. Right. It's not that you necessarily even have to dumb down. It's that there are times when you're just in too big a hurry and they can listen to you, speak to them or treat them as an adult. But what they need is a little more explanation to right. bring them up to that place. That's right. And even as adults, we need that. We find ourselves in situations where, you know, Faith, there's, there's a couple of things that she talks about in her class and, and I notice them and I, as a director and a teacher, I really have an issue with catchphrases and buzzwords. I think it's lazy teaching. I think it's lazy directing. Mm-hmm. I don't let, like people who, you know, raise the stakes. Here's one of my favorites, and I'm really pushing my kids at YouTube about this. But I have watched over and over again, 99% of the time, if I look at that actor and say, raise the stakes, they're going to go faster and angrier. Because mm-hmm. our human brain somehow thinks that's what high stakes are. Here's the question you should ask. Do you know what's at stake? You can't raise stakes you don't have. 
Mm. You have to come into that scene with high stakes. Your preparation has to be such that it raises the stakes with that lifetime that you can walk in with high stakes and you have to understand the stakes before you can do that. So that's a big thing that I push for and I wish more people, that's the one that gets me the most. But then also, you know, you said that um, you're talking about casting people. I, I always try to help my students understand that when I'm directing a show or a film, I am inherently going to have some problems. There's no way around it. The greatest set in the world, the greatest production in the world, things are going to come along that are stressful. Why would I cast one more problem? Yeah. Why would I cast one more stressor? However, I frequently find myself in situations where I go, you know what? I like this person. How many projects can I take on? If I think I can get what I want out of that person and I don't have too many projects in front of me to bring that production to fruition, then I will invest in somebody. I'll bring them on board knowing that, okay, they're going to take a little more of my time. It's, it's going to be a little more stressful, but I'll do that. But I'm looking at that equation. Can I, am I in a situation where I could cast you and maybe give you that opportunity knowing that it's going to be tricky? I had a production years ago of The King and I had this black guy walk in and everybody went, well, what are you going to do with him and The King and I? Are you kidding me? He's this tall, beautiful, just Nubian statue of a man with a killer voice. Well, if you know the king and I, there's a fabulous character named the Crawler Home, and he's all about his presence. I'm like, well, there he is. Same production. I cast a woman who was deaf but could hear tone and had an incredible voice. Hmm. I had a man who was missing one arm since birth, and I had a girl who was, 12 years, who was 28 years old with the mind of a 12-year-old, but her one dream was to just be in a musical. She was a walking musical theater librarian. And so I was like, you know, and it turned out to be an incredible show. But I knew that me and my team were going to have to deal with some stuff. But I know that team well enough, that's the other side of it, that we mm -hmm. could handle those things. So, I, and part of that is to say, I wish actors would come into the room realizing everybody in the circle is human. Everybody in the circle is dealing with stuff, guys. There's not all this mystery and this this sort of opinion these opinions that are strictly subjective or against you or any of that stuff we're just working out the equation mm. that is all this boils down to i've got to build the strongest team possible the stronger my team the more things i can take on it really is that in my opinion and lastly nerves so faith especially targeting what you do i i've started teaching people nerves are a gift man use that energy Use it. That is a gift to you because I watch actors who want to rehearse to comfortability. Life is not comfortable. I need you to get on stage and be comfortable. I don't need you to get in front of the camera and be comfortable. Real life is not comfortable. We collide and we work it out. And that's what an audience comes to see. Look, Romeo will die. Why then do I come back time after time to see Romeo and Juliet? Because I'm interested in how that actor will get there. And nerves are part of that. All that stuff is just part of it. One of the things that I really try to point out to my students is that fear, we know scientifically, fear and excitement live in the exact same spot in the brain. If you put electrodes on people's heads and subject them to things that are frightening or things that are exciting, the same things will light up. So I think it's important to try to figure out, am I really afraid or am I excited? And then either way, channel that into the life of the character. Use it. It's energy. That's all it is. All, all those feelings, all that emotion 
that be great for it as opposed to scared of it. Oh, wow. What can I do with that? Where do I put that? That's just my own sort of approach to it. So I'm going to tell you what I hear from both of you guys. And I see why, Faith, earlier on you said that you and Greg hit it off uh, <laughs> and why I falsely uh, assumed that you guys' relationship was longer than what it is is because it seems that you guys are very complimentary of, uh, you know, your skills, your talents, and um, your approach to getting the best out of your actors is, is complimentary. Um, one thing I'll say, um, I mean, Greg, you're spot on, dude. Everything you're saying is, is spot on, at least, at least in my experience, because we all have different experiences, you know. Um, one thing from where I sit, one thing I've learned is by taking the time to get to know the actors, getting to know a bit more about their background and, you know, maybe even some of their personal, you know, journey. Granted, not everyone, it's faith, as you said earlier, some people are closed off, right? Not everyone's going to share those sorts of things with you. But in one particular um, example, there was um, a scene that I needed. It was a heavy moment, right? And I needed that to be conveyed real, but you can't tell someone just be real. That doesn't work, you know? So in knowing about this person's background and knowing that this person had been molested and knowing that this person had this really dark, you know, secret that she was concealing or holding, I could pull her to the side and I talk to her and say, Hey, look, I need you to tap into that dark past. I need you to tap into that, that place where, you know, that makes you really, really uncomfortable because that's what's going to convey in your emotions on screen. That's what's going to convey in your face. And like you said, Faith, the, the micro, um, the microaggressions or the micro, not aggressions, but the micro facial features or facial expressions. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's what happened. You know, I mean, it, it made the scene so much more real, you know, it made the scene where it, it became, you know, it, it grabbed you, you know, and, you're talking about someone that's a novice. So those are the sorts of things that when, you know, you're telling me about your, your, uh, your technique and you're telling me about your method. I'm listening. I don't, I didn't know anything about it. I mean, you know, we're, we're new to each other, but as listening and what you're telling me, I'm just like, wow. I mean, I can see the benefit and the value that, you know, those that take your, you know, take your um, class or your workshop or, you know, whatever is that, that you offer there. They're there. I mean, Good grief, man. It would have to up their game and have to, you know, it have to make them better, you know, and you were mentioning you. So you, we're talking about kids. We're talking about Disney, but you'd also mentioned that you had a couple different contracts. And I just want to share this with the audience just again, so they know, but you also have experience in working with Nickelodeon. You have experience in working. Um, now I want to make sure I say this right. You have a relationship um, or had a relationship with Netflix where you had done some work for those guys as well. The reason I bring all that up is because we're in a day and age where, unfortunately, folks feel like if you're not, if you've not done something at a higher caliber, then it's almost like you're not legitimate. And that's not true, you know, but when you have those credentials behind your name, when you have those associations, you know, uh, identified with your name, then it tends to separate you from the pack and people give you more credence or more credibility. But I just wanted to bring that out for the audience. And I, like, again, like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to mischaracterize anything that you've done. So if, I, if I've said that incorrectly, please correct me. But I wanted to share that with them so that they know, hey, look, this lady is, she's legit, man. She's the real deal. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'd like to think I'm legit. That's good. 
when you've done something for 20 years, it's nice to think that it was all worthwhile. Um, just in the way of correction, my relationship with Netflix is that I'm on the studio lot of Albuquerque Studios, which is now owned by Netflix. Um, and so I'm the only casting director that is on the studio lot. And so that's a, obviously, it's not a direct relationship, but obviously being on the lot is, you know, they're not going to have somebody there that is uh, not a trusted professional. So um, it's not, so to speak, an endorsement, but it's just the idea that, you know, professionals hanging out together uh, on the studio lot. On the subject of Nickelodeon, I think one of the things, uh, and not to go too much into detail on this, because I know we're running out of time, but um, Nickelodeon had a different approach to the task at hand that, than uh, Disney did. And one of the big things for Nickelodeon that I think could be a lesson for parents is they would always say, let's, let's play, let's mm. play. And so when I would bring um, the kids into audition for me, I would come out and I would say, okay, who's ready to play? Uh, and it's a mentality that this should be fun. <laughs> right. You know, this I is tell playing. my adults like that. Playing playing acting, playing the, the flute, whatever it is, it should be play. It should be enjoyable. It should be fun. Because when we are having fun, our brain will open up. We will evolve. We will become better. Right. That, and that's yeah. science. So I really enjoyed that approach to it. It really relaxed the kids. Um, and, and, um, I would encourage parents to do the same. Let's go play. I even tell my adults that, Faith. I mean, we <laughs> know that, you know, we do our best work when we're at play. We know that. That's when we have the most in that creative energy and all that stuff. You know, it's what gave way to Viola Spolin creating improvisational theater. She is the person who first set that down in a text where you could learn and, and do it. And she was a church secretary watching kids on a playground. And there was an altercation and thought, I should go do something. She said, instead, I sat and watched them. And kids have a way when they're playing of working things out. Sometimes the adult makes those worse instead of letting them just kind of sort that out. So I always tell my actors, you know, I always ask, one of the first things I ask is, how many of you like auditioning? The majority of people say, I hate it. Good. I don't audition. Guess what? As a director, I've never cast an auditioner. People come out with this mentality. I gave, I gave a great audition. That's nice. Were you real? Did you live? Were you honest? Were you tell me everything else? But I don't know, want to know that because we tend as auditions go to think, well, a perfect audition is I got every word right. You know, I, I hit all the marks. I did. But did you live in that room? I used to, in LA, casting directors would say to me, I loved your actor. They hit all the marks. They were perfect. They just never showed up. They never showed up. That's so important. So I always, when I get aside, the two things that I always do, because who wants to audition? That sucks. Besides that, as a director, I don't like surprises. I want to know what I'm going to get on the set. So I always, at the top of my script, show time, colon, the date and time. I don't audition. You don't get cast by auditioning. And the second thing I always write in giant letters, don't forget to play. Mm. Stay in that place where you're loose and you're flexible and you're open and you're excited and all those things. To me, that's so important. 
Well, and I that, think too, we were talking earlier about nerves and uh, first of all, one of the big things that I think is responsible for a lot of actors with their nervousness is uh, they their issues with memorization. And to that, I would say, you have to figure out what your learning style is. Are you visual, are you auditory, are you tactile? And then create a learning strategy or memorization strategy based off of that. But putting that aside, one of the things that makes you know, there's a fundamental difference between how you feel when you walk into an audition and when you walk onto set. And that fundamental difference in my mind is validation. When you come into an audition, you're being judged. When you walk on the set, you've already been validated. But right. here's the message that I have for all actors. When you walk into my room, you have already been validated because it's not anybody and everyone can come in uh, if you have an appointment, if you're coming in to, to see me because I requested you, which is what I do, then you've been validated. I've looked at all of your materials, your demo reel, your headshot resume. Um, I've looked at that. And then for me, I actually go back and look at old footage from other auditions um, to just to kind of make sure I'm only bringing in the best people for the role because I'm not big on wasting time. <laughs> And uh, so when you come in, you've been validated. Psychologically, you've got to bring that same state of mind to that first audition that you would bring to set if they had said, well, you got the part, you're the very best. Um, if you could bring that to an audition, yeah. that same sense of validation, it would tremendously help with the, the state of nerves. Well, when you're saying that, um, that set of validation really what you're saying to me anyway what you're saying is confidence is that correct uh, yeah confidence you can have confident confidence that's kind of a, a false sense of security you know uh speaking as a woman we I, i've certainly dated uh, men who had a false sense of security <laughs> it wasn't because i validated them in any way you know what i'm saying um but you know translated into oh thou are a little cocky um so confidence in fact fake confidence can be perceived as cocky mm. validation tends to breed a type of confidence and there's probably a better word for it um but it tends to breed a confidence that is internalized okay where they just know that it's okay you know, it's how I got through childbirth, by the way. It's just, I st stared at a little, I still in my mind can see it now. I stared at a little flower on the wall uh, uh, that was in the, um, the wallpaper. And I just kept thinking this time tomorrow, it'll be over. Yeah. Yeah. So actors need to realize no matter what happens in the audition room, this time tomorrow, it'll be over. And like Greg said, you know, you got to learn to have a, a shorter lived pity date. Um, this too shall pass, no matter what happens in there. And I've had everything happen in there. I've had people pass out, you know, I've had people, um, uh, their zippers came down. I've had, um, I had, I was actually vomited on once, you know? Yeah. Yep. You heard yeah. me right. Projectile wow. vomit. Ooh. Wow. That's Yum. a good thing. Um, are they auditioning for another <laughs> exorcist movie or something? <laughs> they that should could really work. But hey, you know, if you leave an audition and you didn't pass out and your zipper didn't come down and you didn't vomit, that's a good day. But no matter what happens in that room, you have to remember this too shall pass. This time tomorrow it'll all be over. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps you just intuitively and internally say, you know what? It's okay. I'm okay. 
Yeah. Um, and then what shall be shall be because you are not going to get every single role. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to belabor and I do not want to monopolize your time, but let me say this in closing. Um, I think what both of you guys have shared, honestly, has been uh, a tremendous value to the audience, um, to listening audience, to the viewing audience. And uh, Greg, I, I appreciate you coming back on again uh, to co-host with me because there's a lot of value there, especially when you have relationships with the folks because you have, um, you have an insight that I don't have. And I certainly appreciate that. Faith, um, I, I would give you an opportunity to, to wrap this up. Say whatever you want to the audience, you know, um, in closing that you feel, you know, is, is something that hasn't been said or that you just want to emphasize or reiterate. Look, we know that right now all of the productions have come to a screeching halt. And uh, I can tell you that when life goes back to normal, which like I said before, this too shall pass, it is going to be a mad rush to the finish line. So it couldn't be more important that actors get ready. I know we all want, and then, you know, talk, it's like Greg said, have the, uh, the short pity date. We can all sit at home going, woe is me. I'm not making the same amount of money. I'm not working on anything. I have to, you know, uh, be stuck at home with so-and-so. Whatever it is, you can certainly have a pity party during these times. But there are three types of actors. Those who don't do anything, um, those who do, and those who do better. And to me, if you continue to train and you continue to research and, and invest in your craft, then you're the one that's doing better. And uh, I can't encourage you enough if you're listening to this, you, whether it's me or Greg or anyone, I don't care if you have no money at all, you can still performing at home. You could be writing your own scripts and performing them and taping them and analyzing them. I think what you're saying is, I mean, you're exactly right. In fact, that's what Greg was just mentioning, you know, um, just, just a moment ago as well is the, it's like you say, the time that we're in right now, um, you, you can still be productive is what you're saying. You can still be productive. Mm -hmm. You can still, you know, you can still prepare. It's a time of preparation, but most importantly, I really love what you said is when we emerge from this, it's going to be all hands on deck and everyone's racing to the finish line because guess what? The money now is freed up. The productions right. are, are, are ready, to, ready to rock and roll. And the irony is they're going to be behind schedule. So that means they're going to be really rushing to try to catch up and get those productions out because they're, you know, they're all about the bottom dollar, right? They're all about profitability. Well, if they have had to halt production for two or three months or four months, whatever it is, then guess what? They don't want to lose that money um, and have that negatively impact their, um, you know, their annual revenue or whatnot. So yeah, I think you're spot on. They're going to be rushing to try to get as much done as possible. And for those that have kept themselves, you know, up and trained up and, you know, um, up on the game. Yeah, they I think they uh, they'll be in a much better position. So I appreciate what you're doing with the green screen, with, you know, your thought there. Greg, like I said, Greg just mentioned and Greg, you can bring that up again. And where he, he said uh, a little earlier, he was talking about you know, hey, now's the time to take those classes. I know you, it sounds like you're saying you offer online classes. Greg offers online classes. Greg, can you reiterate what you had uh, said a moment ago? Sure. So I, I know that Faith does this too. If people are interested and want to work, I, me personally, I'm offering 
cheaper prices to people because it keeps me from going stir crazy if I'm coaching actors online or whatever. And I know that money is tight, but there's no reason that we can't all help each other and, and keep moving forward. Especially, I think, for creative people, if you're not creating, here's what, one of the things I always talk about, too, is that creative people will create whether it's negative or positive. And unfortunately right. in our brain, it kind of registers the same way. It's why you'll see actors get in that negative space and poison a set like you talked about or a cast. It's like our brain somehow doesn't realize that what I'm creating is negative. I just feel like I'm creating. I think that's so important to remember that we have that thing in our brain that wants us to always be creating. So in those moments, we got to fill that stuff with the good stuff. And that's, the, we certainly are in that moment now, but I, I would encourage people to reach out to me, reach out to Faith. We can do online. I have actors that have finally taken me serious. After all this time, I'm like, guys, it's so boring. Look, the, the work actors do has little to do with when you're on the stage in front of an audience or in front of that camera. It's everything you do around that. That's the, that's the icing on the cake. It's, it's reading scripts. It's reading books. It's reaching out and coaching and working together and reading. Zoom is really great. I have actors now who are doing script readings from home because they can see each other's faces up here and they get that sense of, re of, of interaction. But it also allows you to be accountable and get it done and to have good discussions about it. This is not a time to sit back and pity yourself. It's not. Right. It's a time to do all the stuff that you weren't doing when you were so busy Too that busy. you couldn't do the work. Yeah. Um, it's an opportunity. So. Agreed. I agree 100%, man. Uh, Greg, let me, let me say this so we can wrap up. Again, man, I think you're spot on what you're saying. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's relevant. I mean, it's timely and it's relevant. Faith, um, I want to say so much, um, or I want to say thank you so much for, you know, your time, for giving us uh, your um, insight. I think it's been invaluable. What would you like to share with the audience as we close up, as we wrap up? Um, you know, if it's anything you want to reiterate, if it's anything that you don't think that you got to say, if it's any words of encouragement, whatever it is, what would you like to say to these folks in this moment? It's actually a, a lesson that I've that stuck with me my whole life, and that is to learn how to pivot. Mm. Learn how to pivot. Um, learn to make the problem the solution. Uh, there's a, a methodology that has a lot to do with and uh, gardening. Um, it's permaculture. The idea that the nature will always uh, look after itself. It will always create a sense of balance. And one of the statements in there is the problem is the solution. You just have to look at the problem long enough to make it the solution. We are under a national and international health crisis. We are experiencing for the first time a pandemic how can you make the problem the solution? How can you take this time at home to reevaluate, to plan, to nurture yourself? Even if it means, one of the great things about being uh, at home is I have slept in every morning for two weeks. And I can't tell you how much that alone has changed my outlook on life. We have an opportunity that is unprecedented to get back to the basics, to reevaluate and to plan our future. And part of that plan might just be the need 
to pivot. Be ready to pivot. Be ready to, to change the circumstances to meet your goals. And I know that's a little bit deep and maybe some people it'll go over their head. How can the problem be the solution? How can you make this a, not only a positive time in your, in your life, but perhaps one of the most meaningful and positive times in your life? Yeah. You know, on that, um, I was telling my daughter, we walked, we do, we've been walking now on the trail probably two or three, well, about three or four days a week. We walk about four or five miles, right? Granted, mm -hmm. she's not necessarily fond of that because she feels it's a, little, a bit far for her. <laughs> but, but she's in really she's in really great shape so she'll be okay but uh on those walks we see families walking together and yeah. i explained to her about the re the, what well what could be i feel is a positive that's kind of emerging from this is that families are reconnecting right you see the mom you see the dad you see grown kids walking with their families you would never see that before you see grown kids, teenage kids, uh, adult kids walking with their families. Why? Because, you know, we are all kind of hunkered down now because guess what? We are sheltering in place, right? So to get, to, as Greg mentioned a moment ago, to avoid becoming stair crazy, to get exercise, folks are getting out, they're getting into nature, they're doing the, the trails, they're doing the hikes and stuff like that. And I'm seeing more and more of that. And I'm seeing all these families walking together. And I mean, it's just me and my daughter, but we see families of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people walking together. You might see grandma walking with the family, you know what I mean? And to me, that's encouraging because I say, you know what, if there is a positive thing to come out of this, that it is reconnecting the family, right? As you just said, it's, it's, learning to pivot, reevaluating what is important to us, right? And the family becomes a unit again or becomes a priority again, right? I'm explaining to my daughter, guess what? Folks sit at the dinner table and don't even talk to each other. You know, the dad and the mom, they don't even know what's going on with, with each other's days. They hardly even talk to the kids. The kids are uh, preoccupied with video games, their phones, and their tablets, right? So they don't even talk. They don't know anything about each other. Right. And this goes on for years to a point you get, you know, the kids graduate high school. The dad hardly knows anything about his son, you know. And so I'm telling her, I'm like, hey, look, look around, Madison. Look at how people are talking to each other. Look at how these, these families are interacting. Look how happy people are. Right. They wouldn't have time to do that otherwise because we're all too busy. So I really appreciate what you said about that, because it's like, you know what? Learn to pivot, you know, embrace the moment. Learn, learn to pivot. Learn to, you know, see. I guess smell the roses, probably what I'm trying to say. Smell the roses, you know? I made an apple pie. I made an apple pie. I haven't, I forgot how much I like to cook. Really? Wow. I made an apple pie. If I can make an <laughs> apple pie, you can do anything. <laughs> there you go. Well, Faith, thank you so much. This has been such an enlightening conversation. So uh, uplifting and motivational and all that. And yes, we want to make sure we direct folks to, um, go and take your classes. Please share with us how you want those folks to reach you. Uh, email is the best way to make the initial contact. So for the training classes, it's cmfa training at gmail.com. So communication method for actors, cmfa training at gmail.com. Uh, the casting email is uh, in New Mexico. We actually have two offices. So we have an Arizona office that my daughter runs. She's a casting director as well. 
uh, followed in our mummy's footsteps. <laughs> and, uh, but for that, I would direct them to the website first because there's a lot of information on there and that is goodfaithcasting.com. Gotcha. Very good. Cool. Thank you so and much. You guys, Faith. So and you, you can reach me at actor space, one word, actor space, EP at gmail.com. I have a handful of people who are doing um, online coachings this week and it's actually fun. Perfect. It goes, yeah. you know, it goes better than you think it, it might. Yeah. 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 No, again, yeah, I, I appreciate I both of you guys. That. You guys. Have, and you know, uh, just career. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I was just saying to add to that too is, uh, you know, even if you just want to talk about your career or talk through coming up with the plan, you know, now is the time to come up with a plan to pivot. Sometimes you need a little extra help getting some ideas. And so I think uh, Greg and I can also assist actors in, in helping them come up with a plan. Um, you know, the post-apocalyptic plan. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Oh, well, that's, that's good to know. I mean, I think a lot of folks would probably be a bit intimidated or it would probably shy away from doing that had they not, had you not made that offer, you know? So I think that's really good to know. And even resources. I spent some time yesterday with a gal who, um, you know, she was worried about finances and I was able to email her four or five different uh, actor related emergency funds that she potentially could um, benefit from. So it really is just, helping people to come up with a plan and figuring out what their resources and options are learning how to pivot. <laughs> no, that's awesome. May, may I ask if, if, if you're okay with it, could you send me that email? Cause I could post that in the show notes and maybe oh, yeah, that might be beneficial to help somebody, you know? Yeah, that'd absolutely. be great. Okay. Yeah, well, awesome. Absolutely. Well then we'll make sure we share that with you all in the show notes. So when go into your, whatever podcast, um, podcast uh hosting site that you're on click on the show notes at the bottom and you'll see that we'll make that available to you all well faith thank you again so much greg thanks for coming on co-hosting with me and uh faith, thank you so much we uh we i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this i'm sure the, the audience has as well all right well it was a pleasure thank you and stay well most certainly we'll be in, we'll stay in <laughs> touch a special thanks to my guest as always I couldn't produce the high quality show without you. And a very special thanks to each of you in the EIT Nation. You are my biggest supporters and fans. And without you, the show is absolutely nothing. On that, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please help me spread the word. Hit the share button for YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're on and send it to at least four or five friends. That'll help me out. And click the subscribe button while you're at it, so you'll be notified upon the release of each new episode. And we're bringing on sponsors too, which is how we're able to support the show. So if you'd like to be a sponsor, reach out to me at smith.durante at gmail.com. Otherwise, if you can simply click on our sponsors links in the show notes and support them, that supports us. Thanks again. Love, peace, and fish grease. And I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. For only the best show notes, links, classes, and more, go to theexpertprocess.com or follow us on Facebook at The Expert Process or hit us up on Instagram at The Expert Process. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share.